All right. Well, thank you. Uh, Welcome to Grace Family Church. I'd like to welcome all of you here at all of our six campuses, those watching online, and especially the women at Hernando Correctional Facility. We're so excited that you are here today as we continue. Yeah, give it up for them. In week three of our U Plus series. Now, I'm Hal Mayer. My name is Hal Mayer. I'm the pastor over young adults here at Grace. And let me just say this. If you're a young adult, you've heard me say this before, but we have something for you. It's called The Exchange. It's on Tuesday nights at the Waters Campus at 7.30. And I, I want you to know about this because this week, this Tuesday, we're starting a new series on relationships. We're talking about dating, we're talking about marriage, we're talking about engagement and what it means to be single. And, and we're also going to be talking about the fact that just because you're single doesn't mean you're any less or any less holy than those that are married, despite what your grandparents say. And so we're going to talk through those things, and so you should be there. And let me say this, if you're dating right now, you, and you're wondering if they're the right person, say, hey, we should go to this series and figure out how we should date better. And if they say no, there's your sign. It works. So this week, we're not talking about something that I, I, I love to talk about. In fact, uh, we're talking about pride today. And some of you, you look at your outline, that's not what it says. It says imitating Christ. You're like, wait, what's going on? I, I didn't put pride directly on the outline because I didn't want you to have to just go to your car randomly. Because pride's not something we love to talk about. It's not, it's not something we enjoy talking about because pride's normally where our biggest failures are, right? It's our biggest things where we have messed up. And I want to share one with you today, but here's what I'm asking I need you to forgive me before I tell the story, because it's not good. It's not one I've shared before in a message, but it lines up perfectly with pride. So will you forgive me? Thank you. Okay, I'll tell it. All right, so I was about a year and a half into marriage. I was a pastor over student ministry at that time, and my wife and I, we decided to start a small group for young marrieds. And here's why. We've been married a year and a half. We figured we knew everything. And we needed to impart this knowledge on others. And so we, we have this first group. I think we had five couples in the room. And we, it starts going off great. We're having a great time. Discussion's great. We're imparting knowledge. People are listening. And we get towards the end and we're just kind of talking. And I start talking about student ministry. And we start talking about education. And, and I, I, I say this and I already look back and I go, man, I wish I could go back in time. But I said, hey, you know, I always tell the students you need to get your education or else you'll end up to be a garbage man. And then two guys down from me said, my dad's a garbage man. And he said, hey, I, I don't know why that's such a big a deal. My dad, you know, he raised our family, uh, allowed both of us to go to school. He got a good work for good pay. And I don't think you should look down on somebody else just because of what they do. I don't know how to respond there. I was like, I'm sorry. I started backtracking. I apologized many times. I'm like, I actually heard they have good salaries. They have good benefits. They're with the city. I don't know. I, I immediately start going backwards because I realized how dumb what I said. And I remember calling him the next day and apologizing again. And here's what I wish I could say. I wish I could say he accepted my apology and came back, but he didn't. And what lays on my heart is that somebody thinks that's the way Christians are. That's the way a pastor thinks. Is they look down on others. See, when we talk about pride, it's not an easy thing. And it's not just the person that sticks their foot in their mouth. And it's not just the man that thinks he's God's gift to women. And it's not the person that talks about himself in the third person. It's much worse than that. And when we look at the Bible, this sounds big, this sounds a little bit harsh. But when we look at it, at the base of it, pride is demonic and satanic. When we look at the first sin, that's what you see. We always think about Adam and Eve as the first sin. But actually, it's up in heaven. See, God was creating the earth. Satan, what happened? He thought he should be in charge. 
He thought he should run things. His pride took over. What happened? God comes up, kicks him out. He goes down and instills that same pride in Adam and Eve. He convinces them that God's holding back and they should have more. So they eat the apple. See, pride isn't something that's just simple. It's something much more than that. In Proverbs 16, 18, this makes sense. It says, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. It's not pride leads to bad things. It goes before destruction. Actually, I've heard people say pride is the mother of all sin. It's the beginning of sin. See, pride's the reason we can't admit we're wrong. Pride's the reason that in the middle of an argument, as we're talking, we realize we're wrong, but we can't admit we're wrong. So we just keep arguing to hope it's a tie. Right? Pride's the reason that we become incredibly selfish. It leads us to believe that everything is about me, everything that I want. Pride, we've seen this, fractures relationships, fractures marriages, fractures families. It keeps us out of community. See, pride makes me alone. It makes me vulnerable to what Satan has against me. It causes me to find fault with everyone and everything and compare myself. Pride leads to anger because I believe I deserve more and that shouldn't have happened to me. See, it's pride that ultimately allows a spouse to believe that just because the other one in the relationship didn't live, it, live up to their side of the deal, they can cheat or watch porn. See, when you look at pride, it's actually the basis of the worst parts of our society. I mean, this weekend... We are celebrating a man. On Monday, we're celebrating a man that spoke against racism. What's at the bottom of racism? It's pride. It's believing that I am somehow better than somebody else because of the color of my skin. And you see this so much in America's history. I mean, it starts off with slavery, but then slavery ended, but it didn't end there. You had what's called the black codes that happened after that, where they basically kept slavery alive. Or if a man was without work, a black man was without work, they could take his kids and put them in the head of the master, and they could use them as basically indentured servants. And then you had the Jim Crow laws that came along, and then you had the separate but equal. And it wasn't until Brown versus the Board of Education that that changed in the school system. And you see all these things, and what amazes me is it wasn't until 1967 1967, that it was legal in America for a white and a black person to get married. That amazes me. And what it, it kills me more and grabs my heart is that there are people who believe that the Bible was behind that. See, I talked to a guy one day who was incredibly racist. And he was telling me, he goes, yeah, that's what the Bible says. How? That's what the Bible says. He goes, it's in 1 Corinthians 6.14. Which talks about, hey, you shouldn't be unequally yoked. A believer shouldn't marry an unbeliever. It says light shouldn't be with dark. It says God can't be with Satan. Righteousness can't be with unrighteousness. And I said, out of all that, you believe the one part about light and dark is about black and white skin. He said, yes. I said, you've got to be kidding me. Are you serious? He said, yes. I said, okay, i got a follow-up question for you. I bet you think Jesus is white. He's like, you can't prove me wrong. It's like, come on, in all the Middle East, Jesus was the one white person? <laughs> the one? He goes, what? You can't prove me wrong. I said, I think I may be able to. Because think about it. If Jesus was white, Judas wouldn't have betrayed Jesus. Here's why. All the, all the leaders of the religious movement, all the Pharisees, all the Sadducees, they get together. What do they decide? We're going to kill Jesus. They're like, all right, let's go do it. They're like, oh, okay, who, do we need somebody to help us out? This Judas guy wants to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. The lead guy goes like, no, we don't have to. It's easy. Go find the white guy. And if you're confused, he has flowing long hair, blue eyes, and he's always carrying a lamb. <laughs> and randomly ending in poses like this. Like, he goes, but what of all the pictures? I'm like, you're kidding me. 
you're kidding me, but here's what I want you guys to get. Pride hides the truth from us. Pride causes us to remain ignorant. It causes us to stay in the dark, and because of that, it separates us from God. James 4, 6, he says this, says, and he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We like the grace part, right? But nobody wakes up in the morning going, hey, God, you know what? I want you to oppose me today. God, try, try to stop me today, okay? I want you to get in the ring. And let's, let's go after each other a little bit. No, what do we want? We want blessing. But understand this, church. When we decide that pride is going to be a part of our lives, when we wake up in the morning till our nighttime, God is not blessing our life. He is opposing it. So it says if we allow pride to be a part of our lives, we are missing out on everything God wants to do for us. Now, I, I want to go ahead and take a step back and say this. I'm not coming to you as someone who has figured out humility. Just want to get that. In fact, when I told other people, they asked me, hey, what are you talking about? They're like, I'm talking about pride. A lot of people had to hold back, you know, smirks and laughter. One person said, oh, wow, Pastor House preaching on pride this week. Next week, I guess it's the Kardashians speaking on parenting. Like, <laughs> So I'm not coming from that place, but that's okay. I am a pride, proud man who is seeking humility. Sometimes through God's nudges, most of the times through slaps to the back of my head. But that's okay, because that's all of us, right? None of us can say we have achieved humility, because humility is not something that we achieve, it's something we pursue. Humility is not something we achieve, it's something we pursue, because no one can ever get to the point and say, I'm proud to tell you I've achieved humility. <laughs> or if somebody said, I've achieved humility, I wrote a book about it, you should buy it. None of us would buy it. Right? Because it's not something you can achieve. It's something that we continue to go towards. None of us have achieved it. So we have to look about how we deal with it. So we're looking in Philippians, what Paul says about it. This whole... This whole series we've been talking about in Philippians about what Paul is saying about different things to improve our lives. And in this one, his idea is how do we come hu humble like Christ was. And the idea behind it is this. We, don't, we cannot find joy unless we're humble. And so he starts off this way. His first advice is the way that we treat each other in the church. In Philippians 2.1 it says this. It says, is there any encouragement from belonging to the Spirit? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Now he's saying is this. This is not him actually asking. This is more rhetorical. This is like your mom going, if I've ever done anything for you, you know, if I've ever, you know, given birth to you or wiped your butt or done anything like that, please get along with your sister. That's what he's doing. He goes, hey, since we know that God's done this for us, he goes on in verse 2. He says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Underline that. Others is better than yourselves. I'm going to come back to that. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. What does he want us to do? He wants the church to love one another. At one point, he says we should even kill ourselves to get along. What's the problem? Many times in the church, as a, as a church here, in the church as a whole, we fight about the dumbest things and we squabble like kids in the back of the van on a trip. Parents, you've been there. We were here just a couple days ago, you know, going up for Christmas. About a couple hours in, what happens? Got two three-year-olds and a five-year-old. They start going, he's looking at me. He's touching me. They laughed at me. 
I don't like his hair. It's all these dumb things until actually baby girl at the end said, he smells. We were like, and then about two minutes later, we smelt it. We're like, you're right. You should tell us that. That was good. But it's over things that don't matter. In the church, we do the same thing. We argue about Bible translations. We talk, argue about songs. We argue about what people are wearing, how they feel about end times. We argue about political parties. Let me just say this. We're about to enter one of the most divisive times in our nation. And if the church is not a beacon of light, then nobody else is going to be. When we choose as a church to fight and squabble like everyone else about political parties, we're showing the world that our hope is not in a God in heaven, it is in a man-made seat of power. See, what's great is God doesn't have a political party. It's awesome, despite what people may tell you. He doesn't. It's not in the Bible. So what that means is this. What that means is we have the ability as Christians to have conversations. Should we be involved in politics? Absolutely. Should we know what's going on in politics? Absolutely. Should we ever let politics divide us as a church? Never. Never. Here's what we need to understand. Make sure everybody's on the same board. You believe it's all about Jesus? Yes. You believe he died and he rose three days later? Yes. You believe he's the only way to heaven? Yes. Okay, everything's secondary and everything else is a conversation. Not an argument, a conversation. See, as a church, what we have to do is we have to act like we hope in something higher. We have to believe that we have hope in something more. And it's through humility. humility. And we know this, right? We know humility is always the way forward, don't we? We know it's the only thing that ends arguments. We know it's the only thing that brings people back together. We know it's what causes communities to bring itself together and reconnect So how do we accomplish that? What did Paul say? I had you underline it. Consider others better than yourselves. Which is a weird thing to say today. Like you can't say that right now. You can't tell somebody, hey, consider others better than yourselves. It may trigger them. Because it's all about me, right? It's all about me. Self-help, self-love, all these things. It's about what I want and what I deserve. And so if you tell somebody, consider others better than yourselves, it doesn't work. So what does that mean? It's kind of like this. It's kind of like going to a wedding. Who's a wedding about? It's the bride and groom, right? Actually, the bride. No, I mean, just think about it. Nobody stands for the groom. But what happens at every wedding? Somebody tries to make it about themselves. I've been doing a bunch of weddings lately, and it's been awesome. It's been fun. It's been an honor. And let's just say this. Let's just say the last wedding that I went to, I I did the... Did the ceremony. Uh, Chrissy and I, we decided to get into the reception early, and we walk in. I say, hey, babe, here's the deal. See that table over there? That's the table of honor. Let's go sit there. You know the bride and groom go? They always get their food first. They get whatever they want. Then every time anybody taps glasses, you get to make out. It's awesome. (laughs) Would Christy do that? Absolutely not. She'd probably walk away. But if I did that, what would happen? I'd get kicked out of there. Why? Because it's about them. See, when we consider somebody better than, than, than ourselves, what we're doing is this, is we're acting like it's their day. We're assuming they need to be next in line. We're assuming that they have somewhere to go. We're assuming they need something more. We're assuming they need to have the last piece of pie. It's mean, like those are fighting words in our family. But it's considering it like it is their day. Now understand this. I'm not saying that we are to be a doormat or run over or push down. Humility is not this idea that I am trash and I am worthless. It's also not a lack of confidence or believing that you just have to be a wimp. Here's what humility is according to the Bible. It's not a low opinion of myself, it's an accurate one. 
Biblical humility is not a low opinion of myself. It's an accurate one. I mean, think about it. Did Jesus consider himself to be humble? Yes. Was Jesus humble? Yes. Did he serve others like they were better than him? Absolutely. Was Jesus confident? Yes. How do we know that? He called himself God. <laughs> Repeatedly. That's a high level of confidence. Some of you are like, yeah, my husband does the same thing. No. <laughs> Was he confident? Absolutely. He called himself God. Did that confidence cause him to treat anyone differently? No. Did his confidence cause him to be run over anytime? Did his humility cause him to be run over? No, it didn't. In fact, it would have all changed if he did. I mean, if Jesus changed because of what other people said, he never would have been crucified. When they told him, hey, you can't do miracles on the Sabbath. Hey, you can't call yourself God. Hey, you can't do these things. If he just would have rolled over, everything would have been fine. But no, he had a confidence in who he was. So how do we gain that same confidence, same way Jesus did? We look at who God says we are. And then we look at Jesus' example for what it looks like. We look to what God says we are, but then we look at what Jesus did. How did Jesus show humility? He served. He served. You know what kills pride? Service. Pride is killed by service. And understand this. Pride is not something you can just naturally just get rid of. It's not something you can go, hey, you should probably leave. Pride is something you have to kill because if you don't move forward in getting rid of pride, it only grows. And what Jesus did throughout his entire life is he gave us examples of incredible humility. Incredible humility. And there's one that sticks out to me. It's when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It's one of those that I'm just sitting there, I'm going, I don't, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could be there. And then when you look at the verse preceding it, it's kind of crazy the way it goes together. So in John 13, 3 to 5, it said this. It said, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Now, thinking about that, when you hear that first part of the verse, God gave him authority over everything, you think the next part would be, and he did what he wanted to do. No, what does it say? It says, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. He washed Judas' feet, who was going to betray him. He washed Peter's feet, who was going to deny him. He washed the rest of the disciples' feet, even though he knew that they would leave him when he needed them the most. See, Jesus didn't serve based on merit. He served because that is what we were supposed to do. Pastor Craig told me this week, and I think it's, it's perfect here. He said this, he goes, true confidence in who you are is the only time that you can truly serve and do what God's called you to do. It's not we, until we have a true confidence in who God says we are that we can actually serve the people God has called us to serve. Because it's through true confidence that we can decide to humble ourselves and do something more. And that's what we saw Jesus did. Not only did he do it, but he did it with the right attitude. In Philippians 2 says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality as something with God to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. He gave up heaven for a manger. He gave up a royal life for a homeless one. He gave up comfort for the cross. See, the cross was so barbarian that the Roman citizens couldn't even be, it couldn't even be used against them. 
In the Jewish world, if you died on a piece of wood, you were considered cursed by God. And that's what Jesus was for three days when he was separated from him. See, Jesus decided to show us the biggest example. How do we keep that same attitude? We remind ourselves who God is, what is his, and what our responsibility is. See, we remind ourselves regularly who I am and what God has authority over. In my study, I kept coming across this. It was such an interesting idea. They said this. They said, you know what's the difference between prideful people and those that have some humility? Humble people can sleep. Prideful people can't. Because prideful people are up thinking, agonizing, having anxiety and worrying about things and trying to control things they were never meant to. And so it affects their rest. It affects their sleep. See, humility is something that brings us forward. Now, understand this. I'm not saying that we can't be great. I'm not saying that we can't be something more. In fact, you see in the Bible the disciples always asking the question, Jesus, how do we become great? Jesus, how do we become great in heaven? You had James and John actually come up to Jesus and say, hey, we want to sit on your left hand and your right hand side, which is pretty bold. And what did Jesus do? He didn't chastise them. Actually, he said, hey, it's great. You want to be great? That's awesome. Here's how you become great. You serve. And I'm sure the disciples were like, yeah, that's great and all, but that doesn't make sense. That, that sounds great, but in our world, those that are great actually use their authority and laud it over others. They use other people to build them up. They don't serve others. So Jesus knew they didn't believe him, so he showed them. See, in Philippians 2.9 says this, it says, Therefore God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all names, that in name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, his great sacrifice led to greatness. And we wonder, what did Jesus' absolute mark of humility do on the cross? It brought us everything we need. See, when Jesus died on the cross, it brought forgiveness. When Jesus sacrificed himself, it brought healing to those that are broken hearted. It brought restoration to those whose life fell in pieces. It brought hope to those who feel like there is no hope. It brought peace to those whose lives feel out of control. And it brought joy to those that are oppressed. And you ask me, why is this so important to us? Because understand this, church, when we show the same humility as Christ, we can have the same effect. We can bring hope and joy and peace to those around us. We can bring restoration to our family and healing to those relationships. We can do exactly what Jesus did in the world around us. But we have to have the same level of humility and choose to serve. Here's what I believe. When we decide to do what God's called us to do and leave the rest to him, that's when miracles happen. That's when miracles happen. But where do we start? We start at home. It's the hardest place. Because at home they know me. Like the real me. Not the facade that I've created in other places. And because they know me, it's harder there to serve them the way that I ought to. So let me ask you this. At home, do your kids, do your spouse get the same level of treatment as your best friend or best client does? Does your parents get the same level as honor as your boss does? Maybe that's a bad that's a bad analogy. As somebody you look up to. Where is that in your life? I mean, think about this. If you've ever worked in sales or the food industry or in retail or any of that, what do we all have stories of? Awful customers, right? We all have them. In fact, anytime anybody brings that up, what's your first story? Okay, you guys got to hear about this customer. Right? And, and we talk about it, how we dealt with this customer either to get the sale 
or what? Keep our job. And so we did that. What's interesting is the amount of patience we will have with a customer, the amount that we will show them, but then when we get home, it drops off. I've heard someone say before, he goes, how? We would go to the, the, the place to serve at the kitchen. And we would go to the food kitchen, we would serve the homeless, and it would be great, but the moment we got home, it would just fall off. And let me say this. Many times, servanthood tends to fall off with those we're closest to. We tend to forget to serve the ones that are closest to us. And then when it comes to our family, it starts with us. It does, it starts with us. We are the first ones to serve, we are the first ones to sacrifice. That's what it means to be a leader. A spiritual leader of the family doesn't mean we just get to tell everybody what to do. It means we go first. In fact, when you look in Ephesians, it says this. It says, we are to love our bride like Christ loved the church. What did Christ do? He laid down his life for it. And did he wait for the church to change? No. Does that mean we have to wait for our wife to change the server? No. We go first. Now, ladies, if you're nudging him, stop. If you're wondering, where's that Ephesians verse? I'm going to put it up on the wall. No. Don't do that because I want you to understand this. Many times there's a pride that seeps into the lives of many women because they think about the man that they thought they married or they thought they deserved to marry or the man they think they ought to have. And so we criticize. Let me say this. Men don't rise to the level of criticism. They rise to the level of encouragement. So here's what you do. You pray over the things that God has for his life. You remind him of what God can do in his life and you encourage him because he's the one that's supposed to go first. See, we start at home and we start small. Not big things, not giant things. We start small. We look for ways to serve people every single day. In fact, if you find yourself to be incredibly angry at someone, serve them. If you find a level of prejudice in your life, serve those people. If you find that you're not getting along or you're comparing yourself to them, serve them. It is the quickest way to kill that pride in your life and bring humility. See, Jesus set the ultimate example. See, what the cross brought us was this, is an example of humility. He brought us forgiveness and sacrifice. Forgiveness and sacrifice. Now, these are words that we love to hear that Jesus did for us. These are not words that we like to hear for others. In fact, many of you, you start off the new year, you know, it's like the, the new year, new me kind of deal. And some of you have your word for the year. And I've heard a lot of them. It's like health or fitness or I'm going to be positive, or I'm going to do this. It's, it's these simple words. Never have I heard somebody's word for the year be forgiveness or sacrifice. Because it doesn't sound like words that we want in our lives. But let me say this. If forgiveness and sacrifice become your words for 2020, I promise you this. By the end of 2020, your relationships will be better. You will have more joy in your life, and you will be right in the center of where God wants you to be. Because we choose to love those God has put in our lives. See, I'm not sure what your first step is. I know this is a lot. I know what we have to do daily is remind ourselves of who God is and who we are. But I don't know where it starts for you, if it's a home with a friend, if it's somebody that you need to serve. But church, hear this, it starts now. We can't let pride just sit there. We've got to attack it and we have to kill it. Right now, I'd like to ask the campus pastors to come forward to close out the service.